Hey, everybody. How you doing? Good to see you. Um, I, well, it was, that was kind of a lame clap, but we're going to move on. Uh, but I, I just I feel like I can't move on until I say that. All right. Um, it's too late. It's too late now. Okay. Um, I want you to know I appreciate that. Um, I entered the workforce at age 12. Um, I, I got a job with my stepdad. Well, I wouldn't know say it was a job. It was more like forced labor. Um, my dad, my stepdad owned a, or he was the uh, chief engineer at a cold storage facility. And um, he told me that I needed to go with him. And basically, I just learned how to haul pallets around. So, I mean, I was, you know, about 12 or so. And uh, I learned how to drive a forklift, pallet jack, hand truck, all of that. I worked about three days a week after school, uh, making zero. Uh, that was my pay. And, and when I talked to them about payment, they said that um, the payment that I got was learning a work ethic. And um, But I did learn, but this happened. If I worked all day on Saturday, um, I got 20 bucks. So basically, I was involved in a sweatshop, um, which is kind of what was happening. And um, my parents split up when I was uh, about, uh, about a year or so later. And um, I ended up in Florida, and then at 15, I got my first real job, as in, like, fill out the W-2 and all that, uh, working at Wendy's. And, um, and now, it worked out. That was actually a great fit for me, because I loved fast food, and they sold fast food. So it was a real, like, nice connection that we had. And um, we worked there for about nine months, and then I got, um, I quit, um, and I left for the money, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. I was making $3.65 an hour there and then I got a job at this new company called Target. I just opened up and uh, I was making $4.44 an hour, which I thought was not all the money in the world, but it was most of it. And uh, so I was a stock boy um, and I, they, um, they had me, uh, I, my area of stocking was the shampoo section, which now I find somewhat comical. Um, but uh, anyway, I quit after a couple of months and, uh, well, let me take that back. I didn't actually quit. I just stopped showing up. Um, and so what, what happened is uh, I stopped showing up. I just got bored with the job. And then I was just sitting at home watching cartoons or something. And my mom comes into my room and says, Robert, why did you quit Target? That was, that was a good job for you. You should go back. And um, now I'm under the impression that she thought that I was going to call my boss, plead for my job back or something. But that's not exactly what I did. I just thought, like, you know what? I don't know why that day what she said to me just kind of like rang true. And I said, you know what? That was a pretty good job. I should go back. And because I had just stopped going, um, I, I had still had my red vest. If you remember back then that they didn't wear the red polos. They wore red vests. We wore red vests. So I, got, I just put my red vest back on, hopped on the scooter that I had that went about, I don't know, 18, 20 miles an hour or so. It was called a jog. That's pretty much if someone was jogging, they could just blow right past you as you're, dry, as you're riding it. But um, I went in, and, uh, and I didn't talk to the manager. I didn't talk to anybody. I just went to the clock. I punched in my number, and it worked still. It was amazing. Punched in the clock, went in, and I just went back to the stock room and started working. So I'm in there working, and then um, my, my boss is walking by, and he says, Frank was, what are you doing here? Didn't you quit? And I said, yeah, but I'm back. And he goes, okay, sounds good. And just kept walking. And that's how I rehired myself back there. Now, the problem was, and now the thing is, and then about a month later I quit again because, you know, I was young and idiotic and all that. Um, 
But I want, here's the thing that happens, that I wanted the fruit of working, that is, cold hard cash in my pocket, but I didn't want to pay the price to get it, which was the hard work. You see, and sometimes this is the, this is the challenge that all of us have. We want the fruit of our labor without the labor. And uh, we all want to be successful. We want to be successful in career, in relationships, parenting, and, and you name the area and we want to master it and be successful in it. But listen, there's a price to be paid to be successful. And because um, it comes at a high price, success does. Because there's usually a giant or two that has to be slain for us to get to the place that we ultimately want to be. You see, many times, many of us have faced off with giants in our lives wanting to be victorious. And here's what we've found. We have found that the giant that we've faced has been a little faster, a little stronger, and maybe even a little more prepared than we were. See, last week we kicked off a series that we were calling Giant Killer. And what we've said and what we're doing is we're looking at the story of David and Goliath, but we're looking at it from a new perspective. Because most of us know the story of David and Goliath, and if you're totally unaware, this is the spoiler alert, David kills Goliath. That's what happens. But what we don't know many times is that while we know the story of David and Goliath, we don't know the backstory of David and Goliath. The, sto- the backstory that made David stepping into the valley to defeat Goliath the, ne- the next step in his relationship with God. And last time what we said was that one of the backstories in David's life was the preparation of him to be ready to fight Goliath in the valley of Elah that day. That he had fought the lion and the bear and when they attacked his father's sheep and he fought them and he won. And he simply saw Goliath as another animal that he was going to take on and defeat. Because if God had been with him when he fought the lion and the bear, then certainly God would be with him when he fought Goliath as well. But there's a second backstory that I want to tell you. It's the story of diligence. It's the story of David being faithful in whatever assignment God gave him. You see, too often we don't experience victory over the giants because we've skipped the moments of training that God has given to us to become a giant killer. Because, listen, you don't become a giant killer when you step into the valley to face Goliath. Instead, you become a giant killer in the season of training when you're being faithful to whatever it is that God has called you to do before you step into the valley to face the giant. My stepbrother is, uh, is an actor, and uh, he moved to Los Angeles, gosh, it's probably like 13 or 14 years ago. And uh, I remember when him and I talked when he first moved out there, and, uh, and he said, Robert, this is my thing. I'm just going to go out there, and I, I don't know how good I am, but I'm going to outlast everybody. And, um, and sure enough, I mean, 13, 14 years later, now, you know, he takes, he's got like, Posting pictures on Facebook and stuff where he has, it's like him and Andy Garcia at this party or whatever, or some award thing that he won some award for something that he did. And then, you know, him with Cedric the Entertainer, you know, because everybody likes to hang out with Cedric apparently. Um, and so, because they're, they're doing a pilot for a show. And, and, and it's amazing to me how, um, and, and his whole thing, this is his whole strategy. His whole strategy has been, I'm going to outlast everybody. I'm going to be here until it, it happens. And there has been this diligence that he's had. And listen, the same thing that it takes many times to, to, to make it as an actor is the same thing that it takes. The this, this same perseverance, the same diligence that it takes 
to, to slay the Goliaths and why many times we don't slay the Goliaths is because we won't practice the biblical habit of diligence. The Bible says this, it's in your notes, it says a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So what I want to do is show you three pictures of David's diligence, how they made him the man who could kill giants. So if you would, open your Bibles with me or your Bible app to um, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Because here's the thing, if you want to kill giants and you want to slay Goliaths and you want to get to where you ultimately want to be, listen, you need these characteristics that we're going to talk about in the life of David. We're going to start in chapter 16 and verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you, to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand. And when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, you shall be well. And so Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. And then one of the servants answered and said, look, I see a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse sent a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. And so David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. And then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul that David would take his harp and play it with his hand, and then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want you to note about diligence. And that is that if you're taking notes, a diligent person prepares for a moment that hasn't yet come. The diligent person prepares for a moment that hasn't yet come. Now, can I ask you this question, if you don't mind me asking? Um, how many of you have been to the dentist in the last year for one reason or another? Oh, many of you. Wow, look at that. We are a church of committed to oral hygiene. That's good. Um, now, the dentist's office has always been a great place for me. Now, I've never had a cavity in my life. And um, now, you know, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. All right. But I mean, I've never had a cavity and uh, so every time I go to the dentist, it's like this wonderful experience and I'm hugging the doctor. You know what I mean? It's like it's a great time. Um, but I don't know if you, you've, you've ever had this happen where you call to make an appointment and you're hoping to make the appointment for like three months from now. So you can kind of prepare yourself because everyone wants to kind of prepare themselves. And they're like, well, we're booked up, but we do have an opening this afternoon. <gasps> but I'm not ready. Well, what do you mean? You know, because. And then you take it because it's the only appointment you've got. And so you go ahead and do it. And, and, and because everyone knows what you do to try to prepare yourself to go to the dentist, right? It's like you brush your teeth like ten times that same day. Before you go to the dentist, you start flossing until you're, you, know, you start spitting up blood. And, and because we know, especially you go in to like get your teeth clean or whatever. Now, this is no offense, but you know that sometimes people who work at dentist's office can be slightly condescending, Right? So, are you flossing every day? Well, no, 
sometimes when I eat popcorn, you know, and, and like, oh, you know, and there's just, it's just really, it's, it's, it's just some, there is slightly condescending because, you know, you don't want, you just don't want that. And, and that's why you want there to be like a month or so so you can prepare. And, and, but then when it happens that day, it's like, I don't want to tell them I haven't flossed my teeth since Obama got elected. You know, I don't want to tell them that. Right. And, and so, because listen, and the reason is because you say, well, I need time to prepare. Listen, the time for preparation is not when the moment comes. It's before the moment comes. Once the moment comes, you're either ready or you miss it. And this is what made David so wise. He was living in obscurity, keeping his father's sheep until the moment came. But when the moment came, he was waiting and he was preparing and he was ready. And I want you to notice there in verse 18 what they say. They say six things about David when they're looking for a certain person to, to play, to ease this trouble that Saul, the king, has. They say six things about David. Number one, he's skillful at playing. He's a good musician. Number two, he's a man of valor. He's, a kid, he's someone that's already known for his bravery. Number three, he's a man of war. He's already proven himself in conflict. He's prudent in speech. He's wise with his words. He knows how to turn a phrase. He's a handsome person. He's, you know, the Hebrew version of GQ, back, you know, the ancient version of GQ back then. And then the Lord is with him. He's a man of God. You see, now here's the point in all of these things. All of these things don't just happen in a moment. They all happen as the result of diligence. You do not become a good musician um, overnight. Instead, you become a musician by, it takes years of playing and sacrificing other things for the point of the one thing being a proficient and good musician for wanting to be that. You've got to sacrifice other things for that. You don't become wise with your words overnight. It takes years of in time with practice, knowing what to say, knowing what not to say. And that's true for public speaking as it's true for private communication as well. Because listen, if we were on the committee or part of the search team looking for someone to be the king and champion of Israel, these six things would be something that we would all be looking for. In fact, if you were looking at resumes and said, who could defeat Goliath? This is a guy that we would look at seriously. But these things do not happen overnight. They take preparation before the moment comes. And that's why, um, you know, the Bible is so interesting because one of the things it talks about is who are like wise people. But one of the things that it says in Proverbs, one of the wisest people on planet Earth, the Bible says, are ants. Not like kings or people that are, do have this profession. No, it says this, ants are really wise. Because they are always in preparation mode. They live with this one reality. Winter is coming. That's the reality that they live in. If you ever find an ant in your house and you just squash him, the, the thing that he was thinking about before you squashed him and ended his life, he was thinking about one thing. Winter is coming. And it's just this, it's this overriding thing. In fact, in Proverbs it says this, in Proverbs 30, it says there are four things which are little on the earth but are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. And we talked about preparation last time, and I'm not going to go into that all again, but I want you to notice that David's life was filled with preparation for greater things. Listen, we all want God to do great things in our lives. We want God to do, continue to do greater things. Then listen, now is the season of preparation. 
to let God now prepare you for the thing that He wants to do, for the great thing that He wants to do in your life. And too often, we despise the season of preparation because it seems small and insignificant. Can I just encourage you not to hate the season of preparation? Instead, realize that the practice and preparation is preparing you for the moment that you're going to kill the giant that's, that's ready to take you to a new level because all this preparation led to the moment. When David went into the valley, killed the giant, and became the champion of Israel. But it would not have happened had there not been the season of preparation and his faithfulness and diligence in that season to then move forward. Well, now we're going to get into the the meat of the story. Look at chapter 17 and verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together in battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they encamped between Soko and Azekah uh, at Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and a valley stood between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail and his weight of the, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze uh, armor on his legs, and he had a bronze javelin between his shoulders. And now the staff of the spear was like a beaver's beam, and his, a be, a weaver's beam, and his, uh, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a sh- uh, shield-bearer went before him. And he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and, the, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then I will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And then Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was of the son of the Ephrathite of, the, of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who, was advanced, who had eight sons. The man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Aminadab, and the third was Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. If you pause there and give me your attention, the, um, the story is, is building and the focus is on Goliath coming out every day saying, who's going to fight me? But there's another thing that's happening behind the scenes that I want to focus on. And that is, and this is really, the, this is the second point in this, um, the, the secrets of a giant killer and this idea of diligence. The second issue is this, and that is that a diligent person does more than is required. A diligent person does more than is required. Um, I usually bathe my kids at night. And uh, now my son is a lot easier than, than my daughter um, because my son Xander, who's two and a half, you can just t- say, Xander, um, take off your clothes and he'll just do it. Boom, takes his shirt off, shoes, socks, pants, and then he's ready to go into the tub because it's like 
That's like an exciting time for him because um, he, he likes to lay on his stomach and just because he calls this swimming. Uh, he's just as in, in the tub. So he gets exciting. So I just tell him to do that. But what he does is, and this is what makes him such a good boy, is I'll tell him to take off his clothes. But then he'll take all of his clothes and then he'll go and put them in the hamper, which is just great. And, um, and then, you know, we'll take off his diaper and then put him in the tub. Um, so the other night, he's doing that. He just t- I tell him to take off his clothes, but then he goes, does a little more than what's asked. And he goes and puts everything in the, um, in, in the hamper. And then I hear his little feet running back uh, to, to jump into the tub. And then um, I, as I'm, I'm, I have my back to him and I'm turning on the water uh, to get the water at the right temperature to be able to put him in, put the little drain thing in. And then I hear him start to laugh. And then I turn around, um, and so he's gone another step forward, which is he's taken off his diaper on his own. But not only did he take off his diaper on his own, he took off his diaper, and in celebration, he started swinging it around. Unfortunately, he had just recently used the restroom before, in his diaper, before he, and so he's swinging this diaper around and uh, coloring the walls with all his stuff. And, um, and then as he's flinging his poop everywhere, he says to me, I gently take the diaper from him, and then he points to the wall, and he says, Bobby, poop. And I'm like, thank you, Mr. Observer, for that. And, um, and by the way, if, you ever, if you're not a parent, and you're like, what's it going to be like to be a parent? 75% of parenting, I think it's 75% of parenting is cleaning up after your kids and changing batteries and toys. That's pretty much, that's most of it. Anyway. And then the other stuff. But that's, anyway, most of it is cleaning up and then changing batteries. Now, most of the time doing more than what's asked is a really, is a really good thing. But I want you to notice David's part in this story because Goliath is the one who makes the biggest impression. But there's something behind what David does. It says that when David, he's, he's Saul's armor bearer, but every once in a while, David will be allowed to go back to his, to his dad's house. To go see his parents, to go see his, his older brothers that aren't with Saul fighting in the battle. And what he does is, he goes, and you know what he does? Voluntarily, he goes and he feeds his father's sheep. Now, you have to understand that she, a shepherd was not a job that you aspired to. It's a job you got stuck with. Because the oldest son got to be the shepherd. And when he found out that his mom was pregnant and they were having another child, he was so excited because his gift to this young child that was born was going to be the job of being a shepherd. And then he would move on. And then that second child was so excited when they found out that their parents were going to have a third child. Not just because they were going to have another sibling, but because they would be able to bestow on them the title of shepherd. And then they they would be able to move on. Well, unfortunately, David was the youngest. So he got stuck with the shepherd job, probably longer than he, than he may have wanted to. But there's something amazing that happens, is that David simply looks on, and he says, he goes back to his dad, and says, oh, I'm going to go see how the sheep are doing. Really? I mean, nobody does that. Nobody cares enough to do that. Everybody, once they graduated from being shepherd, they're like, I never want to see those sheep again. But he leaves the king simply to make sure that his dad's, Sheep are well fed. And it shows us something that everybody needs if they're going to kill giants, and that is the willingness to do the little things that most people don't want to do. Um, You know, lots of people want to be on the stage and sing in the band and all that stuff, and I think that's fine. But the question is, will you be faithful to serve in the children's ministry until it's the right time for you 
to join the band. You see, I've watched a lot of people never be able to kill giants simply because they weren't willing to feed sheep. Because it's never an issue of talent. It's an issue of the heart. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, it says this. I put it in your notes. It says, Do not despise the days of small things, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. When I was um, a young Christian, I knew that God had called me to teach. I was absolutely sure of it. I knew I had the gift of teaching. I just needed an opportunity to, to teach. And um, I, I wanted to be given Bible classes to teach or even a new believers class to teach. Um, and I remember listening to the guys who were thinking in total honesty in my heart. I was like, I could do such a better job than those guys. Um, and, and yet I couldn't figure out why they were given opportunity while I wasn't given opportunity. And so um, I remember asking, like, hey, is there an opportunity to teach like new believers or something like that? And they're like, oh, you have a heart for new believers. And I'm like, yeah, I have a heart for new believers. Like, great. We need somebody to come at 6.30 in the morning and set up all the chairs, get the coffee going, and cut the bagels in half. Um, now, I was pretty sure people already knew how to cut bagels in half, but they wanted to make it really easy. So that, but, And I honestly think that they were just giving me something extra to do. Um, and so that was like the challenge that I had. And that was like my first big serving opportunity. It was not teaching. It was setting up and making sure that the orange juice was ready and that the coffee was going. That's why to this day, I don't know how to make coffee for like five people. I only know how to make coffee for a hundred people because they had like these big drums. And so I only know how to make coffee in large quantities. Um, and so, and, and I had to set up the chairs and, and, and it was like this. Um, and I'm telling you, and I'm very grateful as a young man that I decided to, um, to take the challenge and do it. And I said, you know what? I'll be faithful with what they've given me to do. And I, and, and I thought, oh, you know, I'll do this for a few weeks and then I'll be, then I'll be able to, to, to go for it uh, and, and teach. And, um, and I got, and it was a while. It was probably over a year that I was setting up every week and I was getting the chairs ready and I was getting the coffee going and I was cutting the bagels in half and, and getting the juice and all that stuff. And um, years, then a new guy, then I got my opportunity to teach and a new guy took over as the bagel and chair guy. Um, and I remember years, years later uh, having lunch with my friend um, Bob Coy, which is where I got my start at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, and he's a friend, but he's been my pastor for years. And, um, and we were talking about, we were having lunch and we were talking about when I was young and up and coming um, in, at the church. And, and I talked about setting up chairs at 630 in the morning while other guys taught and all that. And, and, and his thing to me was, he said, Bob, we always knew you could teach. That was never a question. We were just trying to figure out if you had humility and you were teachable. That was the thing that we were trying to find out. That's why you were setting up chairs. It was not because we weren't sure if you could teach. We were trying to find out if you were teachable. And listen, the point of the matter is this, is that you don't become a giant killer when you step into the valley. You become a giant killer long before that in the season of preparation and faithfulness that prepares you for that moment. Because when you get the opportunity, you realize that this is a special thing that you've been given. The special opportunity that you've been given. And now it's the season of faithfulness that's prepared us to be there in that moment. Well, here's where the story, at least our part of the story, is going to conclude in verse 17. It says this. It says, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers to the camp. And carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, 
and see how your brothers are and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went to Jesse uh, as Jesse had commanded him. And he went to the camp of the army that was going into the battle and shouting for the battle. If you pause there and give me your attention. Um, the third the third issue is this secrets of a giant killer diligence. Here's what it is that a diligent person obeys the father's voice. I want you to notice something about David that he doesn't it doesn't say. Uh, and then, you know, it says now David let, got up early in the morning. It doesn't say. And then David got up when he got around to it. David left when he finished his video game. No, David went immediately because his dad was telling him to do something. You know, as a parent, one of the things that you're trying to do to explain to your kids and you're trying to like, um, like instill in them is that you don't tell them to do things like just because it makes you happy to do it. You're trying to tell them things for their own good uh, because this is good for them to, to, to do this. Um, the other night, Mia and Xander and I were in, in our bedroom um, watching some TV, and um, Xander decided it was a perfect time to start doing flips on the bed. And so he just likes to bounce. He'll bounce, and then he'll just do a flip right on the bed, and he thinks it's hilarious, um, which it is kind of hilarious uh, uh, until, you know, something bad happens. And, I'll, and so I said to him, I said, hey, Jackie Chan, uh, stop doing flips or you're going to fall off the bed. And so, um, anyway, he doesn't listen to me because, I mean, what, what do I know? He starts doing a flip. Sure enough, about two flips later, he falls off the bed, lands face first on the floor. And uh, that's when all the hysterics and screaming start. So I pick him up. The side of his face is all red. And, uh, I mean, he looks like, you know, at the remember how Rocky looked at the end of the first movie? He was all, like, puffy and, like, looked like he'd been, his face had been smashed. Well, that's pretty much how Xander looked. Uh, and he was very upset and he was all red because he was crying. And then so I picked him up and I mean, like nothing would console him um, and, and nothing. I mean, nothing. I, hey, can we turn on the movie Cars? You don't want to hear nothing. Nothing would console him. And then, uh, you know, this is like one of those breakout Elmo moments. Have you ever heard me talk about Elmo? You know, that Elmo is the it's a frozen thing we put on boo-boos and all that. And um, so. So I get the one thing that I know that will interest him and I'll say, all right, Xander, uh, he's just, ah! Xander, if you stop crying, I'll give you some Coke, ah! Coke. Okay. You know, and uh, th- that was, I mean, literally that's what, that's what ended it. But the, the, the point is this, like as parents, you're telling kids to do stuff, um, not just, it's not for your health. You're telling kids to do stuff because it's good for them. David listening to his dad's voice to say, go now, bring all this stuff. I want you to deliver some cheese. I mean, think about this. David got into the battle. He heard Goliath and fought him all because he was listening to his dad's voice to bring some cheese to the battle. Right? I mean, this is like the Brie delivery guy. That's all he was at that point in time. And, uh, and, and the thing that, that's amazing, he, he met the giant on his way while he was doing something that's pretty mundane. And I want to tell you that many times that's how it works, is that you're doing what God wants you to do, and then God blesses you with this big opportunity. Sometimes we don't do anything because we say, well, I'm waiting for God to bring me the big opportunity. 
When really, it's why don't I just be faithful with whatever it is that's in front of me. I'll be faithful with that. And then the big opportunity will probably meet me as I'm being faithful. Because, you know, he could have told his dad no. He could have told his dad, Dad, don't you know that I'm the armor bearer to the king? That means that when the king doesn't need his armor, I hold it. But then when he goes into the battle and needs his armor, I give him all his armor. And then I got nothing. Maybe this isn't that great of a deal that I have. Uh, because the only time that I have the armor is when I don't, is when no, someone doesn't need it. Uh, and, but, but what does it mean for us? Here, here's what it means for us. It means, listen, that we need to listen to God and obey His voice. That God, just like a parent, doesn't tell us to do stuff or not do stuff because it's just, you know, oh, I just tell them a bunch of stuff just to see how it goes. No, no, no. That's not the case. That's not the point. The point is that God is telling us either to do things or refrain from doing things because it is in our best interest to do it or not to do it. The Bible says it this way. It says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Now let me explain what that means because meditate does not mean you get in the lotus position and you start chanting um, and start contemplating the universe or something like that. Meditating in, in the Bible, in the biblical sense, meditating literally means serious thinking. It means giving serious thought to a subject. So the Bible tells us this. It says that we need to meditate on the words of God. Give serious thought to the words of God. And say, oh, I don't know if I know how to meditate. Can I ask you this? How many of you know how to worry? Like, you're really good at, at worrying. Okay, most of us. Now, if you know how to worry, then you know how to meditate. Um, because if you've ever worried about anything, think about what you do when you worry. There's this thing that you're worried about, uh, that you're concerned about, and you think about it all day long. It's like in the rotisserie wheel in your mind. And whatever it is that goes on, it brings you back to the thing that you're thinking about. And then, not only are you thinking about the thing, you're thinking about all the possible outcomes of the thing. And then, not only that, but how are people going to react about the thing? And then, you're thinking about, how am I going to feel about the way they reacted about the thing? And then, what am I going to do when they find out that I react about the thing they thought about when it comes to the thing? And you just keep going on and on. That's why, when you're worried about something, time flies. And it's like, I've been sitting in this chair in the dark, listening to a Sarah McLachlan album, you know, and for hours, right? Uh, because, by the way, I mean, if you really want to depress yourself, like, listen to her albums. I mean, you know, good night. Um, I, I, the, I don't know her, and God bless her. I hope she knows Jesus. But she cannot be happy. Because you can't write songs like that and be happy. Anyway, I'll move on. Um, but that's, listen, but this whole thing of like over and over and over again, right? That's, just, that's simply meditating on a bad thing. On something that, that may or may not happen. The Bible wants to do that with God's Word. So, you know how the Bible actually describes how to meditate? It describes a cow chewing the cud. Now, uh, because I'm guessing you didn't grow up on a farm, let me explain what that means. Um, a cow doesn't just eat grass. What a cow does is that it chews the grass. It eats the grass. Then the gastric juices start flowing and working on it. And then it goes, and then it pukes up the grass into its mouth. And then, I'm sorry, but i got to tell you the truth. And then it starts, and then it starts chewing on it more because now it has renewed flavor. And then it squeezes every last nutrient 
out of that grass before finally digesting it. That's what the Bible talks about. I mean, it's chewing on it and swallowing it and puking it back up and chewing on it some more. And, and, and that's, that's what God wants us to do with the scriptures, with the very words of God. And so, so let me give you some ways to meditate on scripture just so you can obey the Father's voice. Here, here's the first one. Number one is to picture it. Whatever it is that you're reading, we're reading this story of David and Goliath. Can you picture it? Can you picture a mountain on one side with an army that's there, and, and then an army on the a mountain on the other side with the army there, and then this valley in the middle, where there, there, there's going to be a battle? I mean, think about that. I mean, what if you're reading Jesus walking on water? What could that have looked like? The Red Sea parting, the walls of Jericho coming down. What did it look like? This is why I always recommend for people to go to Israel at some point in their life. It'll just change your perspective and how you read the Bible. Um, that's the first one. Picture it. The second is this. Repeat it. Um, this is good, uh, when, especially in the New Testament, when you're just reading certain truths of, of the Bible. Right? Like I put in your, um, in your, in your notes here, uh, Philippians 4.13, a great verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a great verse. It's a great verse to memorize. But, you know, what you can do is, as you're meditating on it, you can actually... Um, emphasize one word over another. So you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what will happen is, is that as you focus simply on one word, you'll, you'll start to unlock things in, in the passage, things that God will begin to show you. And then as you continue to repeat it and emphasize different words, listen, you will find that just a few times you'll have that memorized. The third is this. Personalize it. And this is where you insert your name into the passage. Right? John 3.16, most of us know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But you know, you can also say, for God so loved Bob. That he gave his only begotten son. God so loved you. He gave his only begotten son. You can personalize the scriptures. Now it doesn't work with every passage. You know I don't read Genesis 1.1. But in the beginning Bob created the heavens and the earth. That doesn't quite work. Alright. Um, it doesn't quite work. But you can you know. But other passages it, it lends itself a little better. Um, the other is this. You can pray it. You can turn the passage into a form of a prayer. And this is why meditating on Scripture is so important, is because God's promises uh, to make a person who meditates on His Word successful. This is what we've been talking about. In fact, in, in Joshua 1.8 it says this, But this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and then I shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. And then lastly, is apply it. Apply it. Jesus said in... John chapter 13, he said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Because this is where the rubber meets the road. It doesn't matter how much we know if we don't do anything with what we know. So here's the thing, and this is a question I get all the time. I mean, how do you apply the scriptures that you're studying? So you're studying a scripture. How do you apply the scriptures? Now, here's, here's a passage that we're using at home. All right. This is our family, this is the passage we're focusing on. Philippians 2.14. Do everything without complaining uh, and arguing. Okay? 
do everything without complaining and arguing. I'm teaching this verse to my kids. And we can just read that and say, oh, hey, that's nice. Praise the Lord. And that, that's that. Or we can actually say, all right, am I going to do everything without complaining and arguing? I've got to answer this question. Am I a complainer? Do I argue unnecessarily? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch ourselves this week. And every time I try to complain about something, I'm going to notice. Every time I try to argue with someone just for the sake of arguing, I'm going to stop, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to remind myself of this verse, and I'm, not going, to, I'm going to do my very best not to do it again, by God's grace. And listen, now, now, you've begun to apply God's Word. So here's what I can tell you. There's a moment. I know this is true for you. I know this is true for me. It's true for all of us. There's a moment that's so big in your life that's coming. And the moment to prepare for it is now. The moment to be diligent is now. The moment to be faithful in the little things is now. The moment to obey the Father's voice is now. Because there is no telling what God can do in your life if you will surrender your life to Him. In Israel's history, when God would do something amazing, God would tell them to set up a memorial or get some, a certain amount of stones and set them together so that every time they walked by, they would remember and say, oh, that's the time God did this. Or for those who weren't there, they would walk by and say, what do those stones mean? And then someone who was there and someone who had experienced it, this was the time that God did this. And it was amazing and it was life-changing and we were never the same. Because God did that in our lives. And so that is there as a standing stone, as a memorial to remind us of what God has done. You see, I believe there's a giant that all of us need to slay. There's a giant that you want to wipe out that's keeping you from living the life that God wants you to live. A giant that wants to keep you in fear when God simply wants you to live in freedom and victory. And my friends, this can be the moment that we decide that we're going to be giant killers. Because you don't become a giant killer the day you step into the valley. You become a giant killer long before that when you decide that you're going to obey the Father's voice. And you're going to do the things that God wants you to do to be the diligent person that He's asked you to be in the season of preparation to then get to the valley and slay the giant and be the giant killer. So here's what we did. We made, these, um, we made these bracelets that say, I am a giant killer. And here's what I know, is that this can be one of those standing stone memorial moments for us. Where we decided that we were going to be giant killers, that this year was going to be the year that God took us to a new level. Because we wanted to go to a new level with Him. And so in a second, the band's going to start to play. And if you're in the place and you're, you know, you just say, this is, this is it. I want to, this to be something that I remember. Where I decided to get serious. Where I decided that I was going to be a giant killer as well. Then listen, I'm going to invite you to come forward and get one of these bracelets. Not because they have special powers or anything like that but because it just solidifies a moment that we all decided that we were going to be giant killers and we were going to be prepared and ready for the moment 
that God has for us to take our lives to the next level, to live the life that He wants us to live. Band's going to play. You can come forward. Water, you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger God, you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome and power Our God Our God Into the darkness we shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is stronger God, you are higher than any other Our God is healer Awesome and power, I got, I got, I got is greater, I got is stronger, God, you are higher than any other, I got a healer, awesome and power, I got, I got. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, what could stand against us? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, what could stand against What could stand before you today a people who God want to slay the giants in our lives for nothing else Lord than for your glory and to be the people and live the lives that you've called us to live so Lord may this moment be a moment that we remember that this moment of commitment of dedication to you was the moment that changed everything. So God, may we be like David. 
who not only killed the giant, but fed his father's sheep, but did more than was required and prepared for the moment before it came. God, thank you for another chance to be who you want us to be. In Jesus' name.